Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome in to another edition of the PHNX D-backs podcast right here on PHNX. My name is Derek Montia. Of course, I am your mayor of this joint. Uh, we still have terrible internet at the office, so here we are. Uh, I'm very excited to be joined by a few guests today, but of course, the guy that I'm always excited to be joined by is your vice mayor and my thunderstick, the one and only Jesse Friedman. And Jesse, we have a loaded show today. We just can't wait to get to baseball. We have an absolutely packed show today. Pitchers and catchers tomorrow, Derek. It's getting it's getting real. <laughs> Cannot wait. But of course, uh, we are so excited that we needed to have a pitcher on this show. So of course, we're calling in a reliever. Uh, and we have one and only tea time, Ryan Thompson. Uh, I don't know if anybody else calls you that but us, but we have lovingly nicknamed you Tea Time. Uh okay. thank you so much for joining us, man. We are uh thrilled to have you on. And uh it was an absolute blast to watch you guys last year, watch you join the team and have the success you had uh, with with the Diamondbacks at the t- tail end of last season. Um, obviously, 2023 was quite a year for you. Uh, you went from being kind of an up and down guy with the Rays to pitching high leverage innings for the Diamondbacks in, in the playoffs and and making it to the World Series. Uh, how how do you view that season now? Looking back on it now that you're you kind of moved on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, can you give me a little like how the tea time thing start? Okay, so there is a first of all, one of our hosts is no longer with us, Sean DePaz. Uh, he is a huge fan of yours, and he's also a huge fan of I think it's Travis Scott, who has a song called Meltdown, and it starts uh saying tea time, tea time, tea time over and over again. Uh, and actually, I'm sure he'll be here in the chat today to implore you to change your like walkout music to that. I, I doubt, I do not doubt that at all, but that's kind of where it started. And uh, yeah, I mean, mostly it was just watching you. We had so much fun watching you last year, come over to this team and and help this bullpen go kind of from a weakness, like it was at one point to just being a true strength for this team. Yeah. I'm not sure if I could go so far as to make that my walkout. I don't know if, guys, <laughs> I don't know if you guys read my arbitration thread last year, but meltdowns was a fan graph stat that the Rays used against me last year. Oh no. I can go meltdowns. Well, okay. We can't do that then. Sorry, Sean, we're shooting that down, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, last year was, it was a ride. Um, it was a crazy ride for me. Um, it was like as high as a high to about as low as it gets to getting all the way to the world series. It was pretty crazy. You know, I was, a, I was, a you know, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is clubhouse dynamic. And I was one of the key contributors to that clubhouse dynamic in Tampa Bay. Um, and, you know, we had that 13 and 0 start last year and, you know, it felt like the Rays were going to be the team that was going to end up in the world series from the American league. Yeah. Um, we were, we were clicking on all cylinders. Um, you know, life was as good as you can imagine. And all of a sudden it just felt like I hit a wall. Um, all of a sudden I got out of favor. I lost, they lost faith in me and, you know, I had one bad game with Tampa Bay. Really? I had five earned runs against the Yankees. You know, we always talk about, um, you know, oh, you had a six, er- six ERA with Tampa. You take away that one game, and I had like a three. So, you know, that's how it is with with relievers. You know, you have one bad game. It takes you months to, to get over that. Um, so I had that one bad game, and I never got over that. And I was kind of up and down, like you said. And, 
Um, it just kind of got to the point where I kind of accepted my fate. You know, I was going to be in AAA for who knows how long, you know, the Rays had control over me and um, they didn't really see me as a, as somebody that they wanted in the major league. So I kind of accepted that. And my agent and I talked a lot about asking for my release and we just didn't really feel like that they would do that. So it would have been just kind of a waste to even ask for it. And five, six weeks later, I get the call where I get released and it was the most bittersweet call I've ever had in my life. And call my agent right away and we're celebrating. It was, it was funny. Like I get, I get fired and we're celebrating. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then coming over to Arizona, it was a dream come true. You know, I felt like all the things that maybe I didn't connect with, with Tampa Bay was, I was connecting with over here and it just seemed like, you know, it was like, uh, like I was a long lost son that was meant to be found. I was a prodigal son that had left and come back. You know, that's what it felt like to me that, <laughs> It was just like people were just open arms, like, like, uh, look, we've been scouting you for years. We've been wanting you for years. This is a dream come true for us. It was just a mutual thing where I was so excited to be here with Arizona. They were excited to have me. They kind of pumped my tires a little bit. You know, my first outing with Arizona, they put me in a safe situation. They had a lot of faith in me right off the bat where yeah. last place I was, you could tell the way they were using me in the last year I was with them, that they were trying to get me in games where I, you know, they felt like I wouldn't, I wouldn't blow the game up. I was pitching with big leads. I was no longer as big of a leverage. That's something in my career that I've, that I've had really good is a high leverage index. Um, mm -hmm. And so coming over here and being put in those situations, it, it felt like home again. And, uh, man, what a ride to get to the World Series and what a group of guys to do it with. You know, that that's special in this game and in professional sports to not only accomplish such amazing feats, but to do it around people who are just amazing human beings that you love and you are willing to jump on a grenade for them because they're just such awesome people. Yeah, well, and Ryan, and not, I, and not pandering to you at all, but I just wanted to bring up, we, we have discussed that time and time again from the time you joined this team uh, that, looking back at your numbers last year, we, we often said like, really, there was one bad outing that kind of ballooned that ERA. And, and Jesse is uh, not a big believer in ERA for that exact reason. He looks at peripherals and we, you know, we, we talked about how big of an asset we thought you would be, but it really did feel like the addition of you and a few of the other guys, Paul Seawald really were uh, really, what really was the thing that got this team from, you know, potentially missing the playoffs to getting as far as they did. Yeah, I think, I think it's a lot of things, you know, I think, you know, I've said this a bunch, I think myself, uh, Ginkle and Seawald have been getting a lot of the credit. Um, you know, I think we did a really good job in the roles that were given to us, but, you know, I think that whole bullpen and not just the camaraderie that we shared, but the way that, you know, the conversations that we'd have before the games and the way that we'd work together before games and catch play and the other guys that would get the ball to me to get the ball to Ginkle, to get the ball to Seawald. Like, not only were we pitching good, but the entire bullpen was pitching good around when I got there. Um, so I think that's another reason why people give me a lot of credit. They call me the stabilizer of the bullpen. Um, but really, it's everybody saw that we were in need of that playoff push. Like, we were, when I got there, I think we were like six games out of playoffs. And everybody just kind of, we didn't really feel the pressure, you know, we were excited to make something happen when no one else believed in us. And, you know, it was just, there was an energy in the clubhouse. It was pretty special. And our bullpen, we really showed out from top to bottom, you know, Castro, Kyle Nelson, uh, Saul Frank came in. Holy crap. That guy, yeah, yeah. that guy was lightning in a bottle. Uh, McGuff, when he was pitching Mantiply, he pitched some huge innings for us down the stretch. I mean, he's a stud. He's a former all-star. I mean, our bullpen is stacked, absolutely stacked. And that was easy for me to step in and to kind of have a role. You know, with Tampa Bay, no relievers had roles. You know, we, for the first time last year since I've been there, Pete Fairbanks became the closer, but we'd never even had a closer. You know, everyone would be like, you have four saves, you have three saves, you have four saves, you have two saves. Yeah. And so like I've pitched, I pitched a second inning I've opened, I've, we used to do like double opener Fairbanks would throw the first inning I would throw the second inning, you know, I would, I've gotten saves when I was with Tampa. So it's just like, I never had a set role and it's not easy to get comfortable and stuff like that. And so over here, you know, everybody had a decent idea of when they were going to pitch and 
Um, we always made sure we were prepared and fat down there in the pen, our bullpen coach, he's bar none. He's unbelievable. He gets us prepared and I never go into the game, not knowing what to expect. I know you had uh, thoracic outlet surgery a, a few years back, which is uh, certainly no small task going through that as a pitcher. Merrill Kelly went through that a few years ago. Uh, you know, certainly he's come back from it and and, and been phenomenal. Um, but I'm curious for you, what was uh, what was kind of that process like? I know that thoracic outlet has a reputation of being maybe even more risky than Tommy John surgery, and some guys have really struggled to come back from that. I imagine that was a, a bit of a journey for you. Yeah, I'm uh, with thoracic outlet surgery. I, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, <laughs> I've like the way that I am is I don't do anything without going down the rabbit hole. Like you can call me a conspiracy theorist. You can call me whatever, but it's like, I know everything about every detail about stuff that I involved myself in. And that was something that I felt like I lacked in this surgery. I just kind of went and did it. Um, you know, it was a long process. It was probably five months of me trying to rehab um maybe not quite that much three to five months of me trying to rehab and it was shoulder pain that i had you know a lot of people that have this syndrome thrascolet syndrome right they have like cold hands they have like right. unbearably they, it's like tingling numb um some people like have like purple arms um they just they can't even sleep it hurts so bad stuff like that. i never had any any of that i never had tingling numbness nothing that is common with thoracic outlet. I just had shoulder pain. But the thing was, is I, I tried to rehab it multiple times. I had, I had CT scans, I had MRIs, I had x-rays. I had, I saw, I had like nerve stuff done, nerve blocks. Um, I had everything you can imagine and everything was coming back. Not just, not just clean, but like where the doctors are like, dude, this is the best pitcher shoulder I've ever seen. This is the cleanest, you know, it's like stuff where it's like, well, then why does it hurt? You yeah, know, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. And so it was like thoracic outlet syndrome is dangerous because yeah. it's a diagnosis by exclusion in most cases. So very mm -hmm. rarely in baseball specifically, do you go see a doctor and they say, oh, yep, you failed these tests. You have thoracic outlet syndrome. Most of the time it's, well, we can't figure out what's wrong with you. So it's most likely thoracic outlet syndrome. And to me, that's dangerous because thoracic outlet surgery is removing body parts. You yeah, know, right. I'm now missing a first rib, I no longer have a pec minor and I no longer have my anterior or my middle scaling. So I'm missing four body parts now. And <laughs> like coming back from that, you know, I, to be honest with you guys, I'm not sure I needed that surgery. I'm really not. And I came back in 2022, still feeling shoulder pain. And yeah, I kind of just pretended like I didn't feel it, you know, cause I'm just like, yeah. well, I got this crazy surgery and it didn't work. So it's either I'm going to retire or I'm just going to pitch through it. And I just kept pitching through it. And I just was working with pitching coaches and whatnot. And just kind of like not really telling them that I'm hurting, but like really trying to have them help me with mechanics. And sure enough, in June of 20, 2022, I figured something out with it was as simple as the way I was pulling my hand out of my glove that was pre-tensioning my, my anterior shoulder and my anterior deltoid that was causing that pain. And so I figured that out with my hand and I no longer had the shoulder pain. So I do have a history of nerves, nerve symptoms. And I think that the surgery that I had did help that. Um, so I don't think it was a completely lost cause, but, sure. but like, I'm always careful. Like when I have teammates or friends that are talking about thoracic outlet surgery, you know, I try to educate them on, okay, think about what this surgery is, right? It's thoracic outlet. You have a thoracic outlet space in here. Like that's what it's all about. There's a, there's a, your body has a suspension system that's supposed to suspend your shoulder to where nerves and arteries and all that can go through and not get pinched. So when you have these symptoms or you may potentially have this, the syndrome, that's because this space is collapsing, right? You have something in a spot that's not supposed to be there, or you have a tight muscle that's causing tension and pinching against these arteries or nerves. So if you had let's just say knee, kneecap pain, and it's because your quad is tight, you're not going to 
remove your quad or remove your kneecap. That's since that's yeah, I hope not. <laughs> what do you, what do you, what, I mean, it's it's common sense. You just treat right. the quad, right? You roll right, out right. the quad. You but it's like this space is so understudied that it's a new thing in the last ten years or so, where people don't really know how to treat this area, how to get a chiropractor to reset the first rib how to treat the pec minor and these scaling muscles and get them to calm down and get everything back to where it's supposed to be. So really thoracic syndrome is tight muscles because yeah. bones don't move on their own. That first rib doesn't just go into that space. You have tight muscles that pull the first rib into that space. So really we should be treating these like when, before I had my surgery, I never had any of that stuff. I never had my first rib, uh, manipulated by a chiropractor. I never had, I didn't do any of that stuff. It was just like, okay, your MRIs are clean. All the rehab we're doing on your shoulders, not helping. So let's go get this surgery. So I'm a little bit passionate about TOS <laughs> as you guys can probably tell. Well, no, that's, that's fascinating though. And I understand because from your perspective, you are left wondering like, yes, you, you, there were things that improved because of it but can could you have possibly improved those things in a different way without having that particular surgery and and in some cases we kind of do leave this up to uh to to doctors and and such to decide and i mean it does feel like we're a little bit powerless when they tell us that we need to have a surgery that requires us to as you said remove body parts from inside of us that we will not get back like you're not replacing those with other things so did they um, uh, i have to ask ryan did they did they offer you the rib after it was removed and and did you did you accept it i asked merrill that question too he said he was a little bit tempted to take it home but he didn't Okay, so I'm trying to think where it's at, um, but I have it, and I got a I got a necklace made with it. Oh my god, nice. let's go! Yeah, so it's like that's a, incredible. Listen, at the end, I got the first rib. It's probably like this big, and it just dangles down right here. Oh, well, then the surgery a, was worth it, right? Yeah, yeah for, for, some, for some jewelry. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good that's a good keepsake. Um, well, it does feel a little bit like you were always destined to be a part of the Arizona Diamondbacks because uh, from my understanding, you were a big fan of Byung Hyung Kim uh, when you were younger. And I just have to ask, how, how does that happen? How, how did you become a fan of his and then eventually actually start to model your, your throwing style after it? So when I was a little kid, um, I was obsessed with baseball, obsessed. Like I, I don't have an addictive personality, but I have an obsessive personality. Like when I like something, I like it. Yeah, and I like, it a lot. <laughs> like, like, like I'm a, like, I used to be ranked like number three in the country in James Bond trivia. Like that's how obsessive <laughs> I get in things. <laughs> that is, the, that's the most random thing to be ranked number three in the country. That's I've ever incredible. heard. Dude, you're telling me, but it's like, I get, <laughs> I get obsessed with things, you know? And so um, with baseball, when I was a young kid, I was obsessed with baseball and I collected these MLB showdown cards. I had everybody's card, um, all the video games and whatnot, but I used to play wiffle ball in my backyard with all my neighbors. Um, and the way that we did it is we like invented our own, we called it major league wiffle ball, our own like league. And we wrote down all of the rosters. We had like a, a folder and we wrote down all the rosters of the current teams. It was like 2000, 2001, 2002 around then. And we, from the, usually from the video game and just watching on TV, we like learned all of the pitching mechanics and all of the hitting stances or batting stances for all the players in the league, every single one. And so <laughs> when we would, so when we would play wiffle ball, we'd say, okay, what team are you going to be today? And you'd be like, Oh, I'll be the angels. And I'll be like, and I love to be the Dimebacks just because of the roster. And because I liked some of the stances and I liked some of the yeah. pitching mechanics. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll be the Dimebacks. And so we pull out the sheet from the folder and we'd be like, okay, this is the lineup I'm using today. And be like, okay, got uh, Luis Gonzalez at the plate, you know, or whatever. And so I would be, you know, uh, Randy Johnson or something pitching. And then when it's not working anymore, just like real life, I guess, I would bring in Bung Hung Kim. And, <laughs> and so then I would start throwing submarine and, like I learned how to throw strikes just by doing that and just like knuckle scraping, you know, and yeah. my my neighbors could never hit it. So I, I always wanted to be like Bung Hung Kim. 
<laughs> and but I also always wanted to be like El Duque, Orlando Hernandez. Yeah, yes. Ah, with yes. that high knee kick. And so when I was in high school and college and all the way until uh, low A baseball in Quad Cities, I had the El Duque leg kick and then I would come submarine like Bung Hung Kim. That's a lot. That's, yeah, that is a lot. Combo. You got to find some videos of me pitching in college because it's fun. <laughs> I have to ask: Did you have a did you have a favorite batting stance to do when you were doing uh, when you were playing wiffle ball in the backyard? Um, Gary Sheffield, of course. Oh yeah, sure. We all did. It's Gary a given. Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't do Gary Sheffield, you didn't watch baseball. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I did have to ask: when you came in the clubhouse last year, was there someone you connected with immediately? Like you said, you're a big clubhouse guy, and obviously, I'm sure you kind of introduced yourself around. But was there someone that you kind of that befriended you, or you kind of connected with right away? Yeah, um, that's a good question because that was something that I thought was really amazing about this team. Was I felt like I was connecting with everybody. Like it was kind of wild. Like I was connecting on deep levels with everybody. And that's, you know, it was crazy because I'd only known Nick Ahmed for like a week before he got released, but it mm. felt like my brother died. Like that's how much of a connection I built with him in a week. Yeah. You know, like I was like crying when he got released and I was only there for a week. So it's like, that's, that's to tell you like how just, just how like connected that clubhouse is. Um, but something that, you know, I've learned throughout my big league career is how dangerous a connected team is. And I've seen it with Tampa Bay, how, you know, we've been in stages where we're really, really connected and how we dominate and the team's potentially even better at phases where we're just kind of like, maybe we got issues or maybe there's a guy that got to, gets brought in that you could say as a cancer or whatever, whatever you would say. But yeah. when the clubhouse is not vibing as much, I guess is what I would say. Um, we just don't play very well. And it's like, it's lost in baseball, I think sometimes because it's such a, you know, pitcher's got the ball batter's got the stick, you know? So it seems like it's just a one-on-one -on -one thing. You lose the team aspect a little bit, but man, and I can't explain it, but that stuff matters. And so when I came in here, I wanted to kind of bring in some of the stuff that I had learned and that's the American Latino connection. And that's the veteran to rookie connection. And so one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to be as close and as good of friends as I could be with the Latinos on our team and yeah. to be as good of friends and as close as I could be with some of the rookies on our team. Um, and so that was something that I kind of, I put myself out there to kind of um, get to know those guys a little bit stronger. And so I really felt like I was connecting with Jarvis and Fafat and Saul Frank and uh, Castro. I would probably say my two best friends on the team last year were Castro and Frias. Um, we hung out every day. Our lockers were by each other and we, I played Castro as my catch partner. And it's just like, we were, we were tight. You know, we, yeah. we called our, our, our little group of three, the, the Oreo. It was, <laughs> 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 it was just like, we were super tight, you know, but it's like, <laughs> like I say that just cause it's unexpected. You know, a lot of times yeah. in the big yeah, league, definitely. a lot of times in the big leagues, like Latinos just kind of hang out with the Latinos and the yeah. American guys hang out with the American guys. Um, sure. And so with us, it was just like, we were so integrated and our bullpen was so tight and staff and player, like there was no, there's no, like, like, I don't know. It's like, I feel like from what I've heard throughout a lot of different organizations, just kind of staff kind of stays themselves and players are their own little thing. But it's like, sure. here, it's just like, man, like I'm tight with pretty much everybody that's a staff member here as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, I did realize that I stole Tori's line. <laughs> Perfect though. We got a yeah. shirt. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last, last thing for me, Ryan, I know you're in seminary school right now. Uh, what, what is it like balancing being a seminary school student with also being a pitcher in, in the major leagues? I imagine that's a, that's a, a, a bit, a bit challenging. It's a huge challenge. Um, I knew it would be a challenge, but, you know, that's why I did it. You know, I, you know, why I was trying to figure out what my next step would be in my faith. And, you know, I really, I really kind of looked at myself in the mirror last year or two years ago 
and just kind of like, man, the stuff that I preach in the clubhouse, because that's something that I care about a lot is clubhouse evangelism, because like we live such a fast paced life where we don't really get a chance to like slow down and contemplate the big questions about life. It's just, we're so go, 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 you know, it's like, do we ever really sit down and have quiet time and think about what's the purpose of life? Why I'm here? Like, was, was I created or was I, did I, did I evolve from evolution or, uh, is there a purpose? What am I supposed to do? Like, is, is there, is there reasons why things align the way they do? We don't really have a chance to like, think about those things. So for me, like when I'm coming in the clubhouse and I'm challenging people by asking them these questions and preaching to them the Bible and the gospel, it's like, it's a pretty, pretty like intense things that I'm saying. Like I'm telling you that there's a heaven and a hell and there's a way to go to heaven. And if you don't do these things, then you'll go to hell. Like I'm telling you these things. That's pretty intense. Yeah. And so if I'm saying these things, like, number one, I should be 100% convicted in what I believe, which I do. But then two, it should be that I should know all all the questions that you may have. I should be able to know the nuances of these things. But then the third thing, which is why I went to seminary, was if I believe these things, that Jesus Christ is the only way to get into eternal life. And I'm saying that anybody can have it. Like I should be dedicating my life to this thing that I claim I believe. And if I'm not dedicating my life to it, like, I just don't really feel like you should take my word for it. Right. Sure. Like if I'm saying that this is available to everybody, but I'm just kind of taking it lightly. Like, I don't really know if I was on the other side, if I would really take my word for it. So, right. I felt like I, I needed to dive into this even more and to just give the Lord more of my time. And, uh, it, it's, it's been phenomenal. I've been learning things that I didn't even think that like I'm the way I'm reading scripture is completely different now. It's, it's been a phenomenal, um, undertaking for me, but it, it has been a challenge. Um, <laughs> last term I took too many classes and, uh, <laughs> and, I mean, I was, I took two classes my first term and I, I just crushed it. And so I'm like, Oh, I got this. I'll take another class. And so I was in AAA, just rotting in AAA. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I'll, I'll take another class. I'm going to be done in, you know, in the middle of September anyways, I'll be home on my couch. Like I got this, I'll take another class. And then the series of events that happened and I get come over to the Arizona Diamondbacks and we play for an extra month, extra five <laughs> right. weeks. And, and I'm just drowning in the schoolwork. Like we're like, <laughs> we're like getting ready to go out to the national anthem. I'm like, guys, wait for me. I got to submit this paper, you know, I'm like, guys, almost done. Almost done. They're like, dude, get out of here. Doing homework in the bullpen. That's another level of commitment. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, uh, before we uh, before we let you go, but these two questions can represent me and Jesse more than than that. But I'll let you get out of here. I do need to uh, get your explanation on one controversial opinion you have. And that was <laughs> when you said that The Rock is the right choice to face Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Uh, and I need to know why I need to know why The Rock is the right choice. So are you a WWE fan? I'm a I'm I'm a Cody crybaby, if you would, uh, mm. but but on a deeper level uh, of, of of knowing Cody personally, but okay. I also am a huge Rock fan, so I'm very conflicted here. I just needed to get your take on uh, on the Rock being the the chosen choice if that's the direction that they went. Yeah, I think that the way they're actually doing it right now is is pretty good. The way they yeah. turn they turn the Rock heel. The press um, conference was great. The press conference was incredible. That was the best thing I've seen in a long time. It yeah, was awesome. it really was. <laughs> um, but I think that the rock's the right choice because that family died. I mean, the whole, the whole uh, bloodline saga, the, the whole tribal chief dynamic, and you have the rock who's the most famous person on planet earth. Yeah. Come back. It's like, that's the next, like they always say, like Paul Heyman uses theirs. They talk about their stories and innings. Right. And it's like, that's the next inning of the story is the rock coming back and saying, okay, like you claim you're the tribal chief. Like 
I left, he could be like, I left wrestling to make 10 times more money than you make to where I can feed the family that you're over here, just not even showing up to work and you're making a 10th of what I'm making. You're and making so too much. you're making too much sense. You're doing, you're making just, entirely for too me. Much. It's just like, Cody's going to be around for a while. Like, yeah. like, you know, you make him not finishing his story now is just like Rocky too. Like he can, he, you can stretch it out longer, you know, and, and this might be once in a lifetime to do rock versus Roman. So that's kind of my take, That's but, good point. but that's the, good point. the Cody thing is phenomenal. And, um, I just think that our, the way that we're designed in today's world is we want what we want right now. And oh, I yeah. think, I think the long-term storytelling is even better if we can, yeah. if we can wait. The longer you can dangle in front of us, the more we want it. And it'll be that much more satisfying when it happens. So that that's a good case for that. But you take uh, the, you take the belt off of Roman, you can't, you can't put it back on him to, to break Hogan's record. So yeah, you true. only have one chance at that right now. I don't know true. if he'll ever do it again. We're going to talk about this uh, for hours at Salt River Fields at some point, but I appreciate you stopping by today, man. We thank you so much, and we are very excited uh, to see you guys out at Salt River Fields tomorrow. Yeah, man. Thanks thanks for having me on, guys. All right, man. Talk to you later. Thanks, appreciate Ryan. it. That was uh, fantastic. All right. Well, Gabriel, uh, Gabriel says in the chat, just smile and wave, Jesse. And that's about it. I mean, that's about all I have to, <laughs> all I have to add to that uh, last piece of the conversation there. But it's I okay. I'm glad, I, I'm glad you had your fun, Derek. I, I had to. And I knew he was going to go off, but I didn't expect that. And that I appreciate very much. Uh, he's <laughs> fantastic. And that's going to be a blast to see all those guys out there at Salt River Fields tomorrow. Of course, it's a great to see all of you guys here in the PHNX Sports YouTube channel right now. Of course, if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, make sure to do so now. Sign up for notifications. That way you don't miss when any of our wonderful shows go live. Leave us a review. We always appreciate that feedback. And of course, uh, if you're listening on the audio podcasting side, we appreciate you subscribing there as well. Uh, leave us a five-star review. We appreciate those. We very, very much need those. Circle K, by the way, I had to stop on my way home on my very, very quick drive home to get gas. Uh, and I was very tempted to run inside, Jesse, because I needed a drink. I needed snacks. I needed lots of stuff. All of a sudden, we once again had to pivot and lose our internet connection. But uh, Circle K, they got me out of there fast with cheap gas. They got me filled up. And of course, you can do the same if you have not signed up for their Inner Circle membership program. Do so now. Of course, if you do so, you will get save 25 cents off per gallon on your first five fill-ups. You will also save three cents off per gallon every day after that. All you have to do to sign up is to join uh, the Inner Circle for free right now by downloading the Circle K app today. Terms and conditions apply. Participating locations. Visit CircleK.com for details. Also, uh, for more than 84 years here in the Valley, Desert Financial has been Arizona's largest, most trusted credit union. They got me started on my home ownership journey, which I am currently in, thankfully, safe here doing the show. Uh, and of course, they can get you started on your home ownership journey as well. Uh, they, uh, You can look to Desert Financial for mortgages, checking and savings accounts, loans, credit cards, and so much more, including investment options. Make sure to join a credit union that is committed to giving back to the community and giving back to its members. Make sure you join a credit union that that uh, has your financial interest in mind. When you open a free checking account online, you can get $200 in bonuses. Get started by visiting desertfinancial.com slash 200. Jesse, we're not done with the guests. You know, no. we're not in studio. So we just invited everybody to the party. And I'm very excited uh, to be joined by one of our friends from the Diamondbacks beat uh, from Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Uh, Teo Mackey is here. Teo, uh, how you doing, sir? Welcome in. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I got a uh, lot to live up to. Ryan was uh, yeah, you do. That was a heck of an interview. Yeah, you have to talk to us a lot about pro wrestling. That's for sure. That's the first uh, <laughs> five questions I have. I might on be my able list to give you here. two seconds of content. <laughs> I couldn't even do that, Teo. So yeah, that's, I appreciate. That's I appreciate at least that much. Uh, how was your off season, sir? I know it wasn't very long this this time. Uh, yeah, short off season, right? But uh, no, it was good. Got some, got some rest and ready to be back out there at Salt River tomorrow. Yeah, exciting, exciting. Uh, you were I out at you, the. Uh, you... Oh, go ahead, Jesse. You're gonna ask about. Are you gonna ask about the Phoenix Open? Is that what is that I was. Gonna I was gonna ask, ask about being out of the Phoenix Open. Yeah, all we really we don't really want to talk to you about baseball, Teo. We just want to talk to you about your experience covering the Phoenix Open and the ruckus that that was. I personally have never been. Uh, so, uh, so, so fill me in on, uh, on what I missed out out there. No, I figured you guys were going to ask me about that yesterday. I got a call from this woman from some 
sports podcast in Australia who wanted to have me on to talk about the Phoenix Open. That's how much of headline, like worldwide headlines, this thing was making. Uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, I on Saturday. I was trying to go catch up with a golfer who was on the 14th hole. So I was walking from like the clubhouse to the 14th hole. It probably took me 45 minutes to walk three holes. It was, uh, it was a zoo. I was actually like during the peak of the craziness on Saturday when they had to shut down the course and the alcohol sales and everything, I was inside writing a story, which was the worst timing ever because I missed the the peak craziness, but it might've been good to be inside. But yeah, I mean, what they had two years ago was zero arrests. Uh, this year it was 64 arrests. So oh, I think uh, when you're talking about things going off the rails, you can see what they're ta- what people are talking about. I heard that they actually just shut down the beer stands because of like the traffic flow was the big yeah. problem. And, and where people had to like all walk through one walkway versus it actually being drunken people causing them to have to have to rethink their alcohol policy. Yeah, I think it was crowding. It was the like normally so much of the course people are standing on grass hills and whatnot, and all of that had turned to mud because of the rain. So oh, people man. had to condense into like the few concrete walkways that there are. And so like people were shoulder to shoulder, completely not able to move. And at one point they were letting people in without scanning tickets because there was like a crush at the gates and they had to yes. let people yeah. in. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then they stopped letting people in because the course got too crowded and it was just I don't know what the solution is. I mean, I'm sure they're going to figure something out, whether they sell fewer tickets next year or limit alcohol sales or or whatnot. But I, yeah, I think there's two things. I think there was the crowding was over the top. And then I think the you know debauchery. I mean, obviously, that's the fun of the Phoenix Open. Like, you're not going there to, to be completely sober and golf clap at a few nice shots. Right. Right, but, uh, but there's it, a lie, it, it, right? It, it it got out of control. It felt like. I mean, I saw a lot of like TikToks and stuff of golfers yelling at at people to shut up and just things like that, like general decorum kind of things. And like, it's understandable, especially on 16. You're not going to get you're you're going to get a rowdy crowd over there. But it it did feel like things kind of crossed the line, and maybe it was just the fact that people were kind of just stuck, like walking around in these long lines and long crowds, but. Uh, you had a hilarious exchange with Zach Johnson, uh, and how 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 did that go? <laughs> uh, no, I didn't. I didn't think that that Zach was uh, you know too uh, you know confrontational or anything. I saw you know a lot of the replies when people were were getting annoyed at him. I don't know. I think the the line that a lot of people picked up on is when he asked who I work for, and I think that was like honestly, he just you know. I don't cover the PGA tour every week. He doesn't know sure. who I am. And sure. so he's like, okay, are you, are you legit? Like, do I want to give you a real answer? And then I said, I yeah. work for the Republican. He did give me a real answer. So, <laughs> you know, fair, fair enough. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously people were criticizing him for being a little bit, uh, a little bit harsh and, you know, saying I, this has been over the top for 21 years and just kind of like, I don't know, criticizing the tournament without also complimenting it for, for, for its strengths. Whereas I talked to Billy Horschel too, who's another guy who, as you said, was on a video yelling at fans and Billy was like, yeah, I love this tournament. Like it's one of my favorite events yeah. uh, on tour, but there's a line, you know, I don't want people to die. I don't want, uh, you know, I don't want people to get hurt. I, I think there has to be kind of a line that we walk where people are having fun. And that goes over way better with the general public when you're saying, yeah, this is a great tournament, but we have to find the right balance. And I think, sure. you know, I think people obviously kind of latched onto Zach saying, no, I don't like this tournament at all. And people are like, okay, then why do you come? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I, I do, I mean, I thought Billy's comments were insightful where he was saying, look, there's, there's just a line. And, and when he got mad was because of a fan was yelling in the backswing of this guy who was in his first ever, it's actually uh, ASU guy. Um, he was in the, his first ever PGA tour event. And so yeah. fans yelling in his backswing, messing him up. Like this is a life changing week for that guy. So right. Billy's point is, right. you know, you're messing with these guys livelihood and, and I can understand. Oh, he was hundred percent right. In my opinion, yeah. by the way, when I saw that video, I was like, he's spot on here. And I mean, sometimes that's in sports. We have to get that right. Like we have fans that cross a line. We've had fans across the line with Tommy Pham, And you know, we, we had that last season. We've had all sorts of instances where players do kind of have to snap back. And, and, and I think, you know, golfers get kind of a reputation of being a certain way, but like, yeah, they have to clap back too. They have to let fans know that they're kind of, you know uh, like, again, 
ruining a fun time you know it's a fun event but again when you get so drunk that you're falling down in the mud and you're <laughs> screaming why golfers are taking a swing you've you've you you've gone too far you forgot where you're at what how you about mean? the guy sitting on a stool like peeing himself yes. in yes. that was, nice. that was that a was pretty brutal one like there's a you know a guy sliding down a mud pile you know that's fun but a guy who's right. so drunk that he's peeing himself on a stool right you know, we've maybe, gone too far yeah maybe maybe you don't want to see that <laughs> all right all right we're actually going to talk about some baseball now i insist yes, fine. uh so so Teo. Slides at salt river fields this yes yes yeah yeah <laughs> yes yes um so baseball prospectus as of right now Teo has the diamondbacks at 85.7 projected wins for 2024 which i believe is the highest in the national league outside of of course the dodgers and the braves who are far and away above everyone else do you feel like 85.7 is fair does that strike you as too high, too low? Where do you stand on on that number? That sounds that sounds right, honestly. I, I think the projections are are pretty fair. I think the nature of these projections and, and Dan, Dan Simborski is always going at people on Twitter on this is like the, the fans of good teams always think that their, their projections are going to be too bad. And then you look at a, a bad team and you're like, why are these projections so high? And it just, that's the nature of projections, right? They're going to be compressed. You're not going to project a team to win 105 games, even though there is probably going to be a team somewhere that wins 105 games this year. You just, it's, you know, you can't predict who it's going to be. So, yeah. So you're, when you're a good team like the diamondbacks and you see that number 85.7 you're like man they went to the world series last year it, it can be frustrating but i think that's fair right you're projecting them to win two more games than they did a year ago they improved their team from last year their you know third base should be uh you know a, a 180 from where it was a year ago the rotation should be better those are those are two huge huge holes that they really addressed DH should be better too. Uh, so, so I definitely, you know, think you're going in with a little bit more optimism, but you also have to look at last year and think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there was a little bit of overperformance in that first half. Uh, you know, they were fairly healthy. You know, they had some, some guys in, in the first half, get some good batted ball luck. So, you know, if you're saying, oh, last year, maybe it was a 82 win team. If you're, you know, ignoring some of the outlier things, then you're projecting a four win improvement. Like, that seems pretty fair to me. Overall, this team changed a lot throughout the course of last year. And I felt like they went from not really knowing who their identity was at the beginning of the year to kind of not being afraid to make some of those big moves. We saw them make parting ways with guys that have been part of the team for a while. We know we you know, parted ways with Madison Bumgarner, and, and that was a difficult decision financially, especially, but uh, like, it feels like this team kind of has a bit more of a running start this year that they kind of know who their identity is and know who their core is. And now, like you said, they went out and they added the pieces this off season that kind of, you know, maybe addresses a lot of their, their weaknesses and shortcomings during, you know, the off season. Does that, does that give you a kind of a feeling that, I mean, obviously with the Dodgers being what they are, it's, it's not like, does that give you a chance at the NL West? It really still doesn't feel like that, but it does give you a, a feeling that this team has a good chance to make the postseason and, and kind of continue some of this success that we saw in the postseason more than it being kind of a fluke. Yeah, I mean, it's it's baseball, right? I'm not going to rule out them winning the NL West. Obviously, no one's predicting that, and and it would be uh, almost crazy to predict anyone other than the Dodgers. Sure. But who knows? Like, right. yeah. would you have projected that you know at the beginning of July last year the D-backs would be leading the NL West? So, mm -hmm. so, so who knows? <laughs> but no, I mean, I I think that point about this team being prepared to hit the ground running more than last year's is a good one. Like last year, if you remember at the beginning of spring training, Hazen was asked about the expectations. He said, we want to be in contention in September. If yeah. you ask, if we ask Hazen this week, what his expectations are, his answer is not going to be, we want to be in contention at the beginning of September. Yeah, we want to be playing like, meaningful baseball games in September. Yeah. That's yeah, not going to be the answer. That is not no longer the goal. And and yeah. when that's your goal and you're kind of in that in-between spot, like, okay, maybe we're turning a corner. Maybe we're not, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, you're competitive. That's when you have guys like Madison Bumgarner in your rotation. That's when you make a, a 
offseason move to fill a rotation hole. No disrespect to Zach Davies, but who, who had a good year in 2022. But you know that's not a splashy move to to fill a rotation right. hole. Right. Bringing back Zach Davies on a cheap contract, going out and getting Eduardo Rodriguez. That's a move that you make when you're expecting to contend and you're expecting to, you know, and and the same thing at third base. Like they got last year, you know, they thought, okay, maybe maybe Rojas won't, you know, maybe we want to compliment Rojas. Uh, so we're going to go out and get Evan Longoria, you know, cheap, low risk move, good clubhouse presence. Longoria had some great moments for them last year, but you go out and trade for Eugenio Suarez and that's a completely different ball game. And those are the type of moves that showcase an intent yeah. They, you know, this is a team that that wants to to be back in October and deep into October, and you know you're making the moves to not have any weaknesses on your roster, it, it, rather than entering and saying, "Well, I hope this works out." Yeah, so, I think that's the the difference compared to last year. Uh, Teo, I'm curious. Uh, spring training pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. Of course, we have to be there entirely too early in the morning. We've discussed this <laughs> offline. We uh, do. It, like it gets earlier every year. I swear. <laughs> Um, but, uh, biggest, biggest spring training storyline for you, uh, obviously there's, there's a number of them. There's a few different competitions that are going to be happening. Uh, but what is, what is sort of at the top of your list in terms of things to things to be watching this spring? Uh, I mean, I think the number one thing that you're going to be looking for is that fifth starter spot. Like that is obviously uh, sure. completely up in the air. I think if you surveyed a hundred Diamondbacks fans, you might get 50 Tommy Henry predictions and 50 Ryan Nelson predictions. Uh, so that'll, that'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. Like this team has a lot of confidence in Ryan Nelson. And last year he didn't perform well, like straight up. He just, he couldn't yeah. strike anybody out. He did not have a pitch to go to, to get guys to strike out. That's something, you know, they sent him down for like three starts to Reno to try to in, in August to try to get him to figure it out. It didn't work, but with a whole off season, it'll be interesting to see if, uh, it, you know, if Ryan comes in and, and shows some of that ability that, that he showed in 2022 and in the minors to get more swing and miss. Uh, and I think he, he probably, you know, you would, you would probably say he has a higher ceiling than, than Tommy Henry. Uh, Tommy Henry yeah. maybe has a higher floor. So, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch for another thing that i think is less obvious to watch for i'm really curious to see what alec thomas's swing looks like like this is a guy that has so much potential that you know obviously he's a great defensive center fielder he's got pop we saw some of those flashes in the playoffs we we've seen for six week stretches what alec thomas can be but the last two years, the fact is his OPS plus has been 75 each of those two years. Right, and he kind of right. has this swing where he pulls off towards first base and they've said, they you know, they don't want to, it's hard to change something like that dramatically during the middle of the season, but he's had three and a half months to work on it. Like, you know, when Alec Thomas is out there, he taking, taking cuts next week when, when, uh, you know, hitters report. Is he is he still going to be pulling off towards first base, you know, with that kind of awkward swing? Or are we going to see a little bit of a more controlled motion? And I think if he is able to retool his swing, I mean, and, and elevate himself to kind of that next tier of center fielder, that could be a, a really big storyline from spring training. The Giants signed Jorge Soler to a three-year, $42 million deal. It was kind of close to what the Diamondbacks signed Lourdes Gurriel to. Yeah, three and, uh, three and identical. 42, exactly the same. What, what do, you, do you think that that was well out of the Diamondbacks' price range as far as what they were seeking for a DH prior to signing Jock Peterson? And and what do you thought? What are your thoughts on on that deal with the, with the Giants? Do you think the Diamondbacks maybe should have pursued Sir Soler instead of Gurriel? Uh, I think it's a good deal. I think Solaire's a, a good hitter. I, you know, obviously brings a lot of pop. And Jesse and I had actually talked like in in November. I think we had you know been discussing would Solaire be a fit for the Diamondbacks yeah. just over text. I remember having those conversations. And I think maybe if they don't bring Lourdes Gurriel back, then then the equation you know you're viewing Solaire as more of a DH. But in terms of the lineup, okay, then you then you're you're missing that big right-handed power bat and going out and getting a guy on a three-year deal probably makes a little bit more sense once you go and get that three-year deal for a right-handed power bat and it's like okay now you're going to go out and spend another 42 million on uh you know a guy who who is you know has a 
you know, a fairly similar comp in your lineup. So I think it made a lot of sense for the Diamondbacks to then say, okay, we added a right-handed third baseman. We brought back a right-handed left fielder. Our, our lineup is significantly more right-handed than it was six months ago. We're going to switch that up. We're going to bring in a lefty, a DH on a one-year deal. And that gives them flexibility too, right? You know, now they can see, okay, if, if next year, Jake McCarthy really figures, you know, figures things out and you're going into 2025 and, and Jake is penciled into your starting outfield. Well, then there's that spot for Guriel. If you, if you get a three-year deal for Guriel and a three-year deal for Solaire, then, you know, what happens if, if Jake McCarthy is, you know, breaks out and he's not the only one, you know, other guys in the system, you, you just kind of cut off your, your avenues a little bit uh, when you're signing two guys in their thirties, who play outfield slash DH to, you know, both right-handed power hitters to similar deals. So I think it made a lot of sense for them to kind of switch that up, do a one-year deal for Jock, uh, you know, get that left-handed bat in there. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I, I definitely see where you're coming from on the on the part of just the length of the deal. I Signing two players to three-year contracts who were both right-handed hitters, um, you know, maybe there comes a day in a couple years when Lourdes is no longer uh, you know, great defensively. And you'd like to have the DH slot open for him from time to time, having both of those guys, it, it would, it would make it difficult. Yeah. I do have to say though, my initial reaction to seeing the move was three and 42 seemed a lot lower than what I expected Solaire to get. Um, you know, I mean, coming off the season, he had being an all-star hitting, you know, 36 home runs and, and the price tag between him and Jock Peterson, at least on an annual basis, is not is not very big. I mean, I know I, I think the Giants gave him some big signing bonus or something. What were you what were you expecting on Solar? I think I, I think I had it closer to fifty, like three mm-hmm. and fifty, something like yeah. that. Maybe maybe slightly north of of uh, of fifty. He was just a really good hitter last season. Uh, I mean, a you know a mid eight fifty or eight fifty OPS, something like that. Um, you know, if the Diamondbacks could have Jorge Soler instead of Jock Peterson for about two million dollars more, at least in the first year. That's interesting to me. Like that's it's closer than I think I expected it to be. Um, but I, I see where you're coming from. You know, maybe signing two guys to three year contracts, it kind of limits your options down the road. So um yeah, I I I understand where you're where you're coming from for sure. I mean, the other thing I'll I'll say is like I think there's a little bit of for Jock. I think there's a little bit of recency bias that was hurting his market. Like two years ago, he was a really, really good hitter. And his batted ball numbers this year were, were no different than they were two years ago. And Hazen, Hazen mentioned that in the press conference after, after announcing that signing is like, you know, we expect this guy to be back closer to what he was in, in 2022. I just pulled up his baseball reference page. He had an 874 OPS, you know, two two years ago. He was really if good. you get that yeah. for for the price tag, I mean, that's yeah. that's a steal. Yeah. Uh, you're if you're looking at last year, Solaire is better. If you're looking at the last two years, Solaire is a 798 OPS. Jock has an 821. So you're getting yeah, the better guy fair. over the last two years. I'm not saying that that means he's going to be better in 2024. But sure. if you flip the order of 2022 and 2023, you know, and Solaire had been had been worse this year than jock then you know how different would the contracts be that's a great point and i i think yes uh gabriel ripped to the solar power merchandise (laughs) we're gonna have to scrap that entire line that i had ready to go (laughs) um i will say though that like there's something about jock in that first press you know availability that he had that felt very determined you know i mean i think we've all kind of decided that you know, he's going to be a DH and, and a situational DH. And instead, you know, he brought up wanting to work with Dave McKay and wanting to get better both defensively and, you know, in, yeah. in, in different hitting situations. And I like that. Even if it doesn't really come to fruition, I do like that he does seem very motivated to contribute to this team as much as possible. And, you know, you you take that and, and you add in what you just brought up about the last two seasons. And all of a sudden it's a, it's a much more appealing you know, situation. Uh, and I, 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 I can't wait to see what Jock can do. I'm very interested to see how this team all comes together, but I'm also very interested to see if you are going to continue to be Steve Gilbert's translator when it comes to uh, <laughs> lingo for the young people like slang, are you going to keep teaching him about uh, different things that the young people are saying these days? 
Well, I'm 24 <laughs> now, so I'm losing touch with the. Get it? You know, if I if I go on TikTok these days, there are things that I'm that are over my head. So soon I can't, we're, there's got to be someone new in the press box right. to. I, I can't I can't get Jesse to teach me. Jesse doesn't know any of the slang, so he doesn't help me <laughs> yeah, at it's all. Not it's, gonna other, be me. it's not the other be kids me. in the office. Yeah. It's the interns that keep me up to date. But I try. I try my best. Uh, but we appreciate when we you. Were, man, when we were finalizing, uh, I just have to say real quick. When we were, uh, I was sending Taya the link and whatnot to join us. Uh, he said, I bet that was his response. And I was like, I think I know what that means, but oh, I'm not boy. like totally oh, sure. <laughs> I don't really, I don't think it warrants a response. So I guess it doesn't really matter one way or another, uh, but yeah, well, I guess someone, maybe, if someone else is going to help Steve, it's, it's certainly not, it's not going to be me. I guess maybe <laughs> compared to you, I still sound, uh, sound hip and with the times. It's there the you truth. go. Absolutely. The, the shoes, Tao. It's the, young the shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta right, get some man, new well, kicks before spring training. That is, that's uh, high on the, high on the list. Jesse, uh, Jesse had matching uh, kicks with our producer, Emma, the other day, and it was probably the coolest moment for Jesse and possibly the nerdiest moment for Emma. I'm not sure how <laughs> that worked out. but was... they were, They're genuinely cool shoes. I will probably wear them at spring training tomorrow. But not now that you've hyped them up like that. I mean, you've set, <laughs> you set a high bar for yourself. They're, uh, they're nice what if they don't clear the I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they're nice shoes. But the not so cool part of it is that both me and that producer, uh, we both got them from our moms for Christmas. Which oh my like god, it, it kind of uh, takes yeah, away from the factor see, a little we're bit. See tomorrow, how cool these shoes are! <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you again for joining us, and uh, we're looking forward to being out there uh, watching some baseball tomorrow. Yep. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Uh, see you guys tomorrow. All right, buddy. Yeah, Thanks again. Be bright and early. Oh, man. All right. Well, of course, you can get down if you miss baseball a lot on some future bets over at the BetMGM Sportsbook app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, now is a great time to do so. Uh, you can download it on iOS or Android or go to BetMGM.com. Sign up using our code of PHNX. And when you do, all you got to do is deposit $5, bet that at a standard odds price, and you will get $150 in bonus bets instantly. Of course, you can also tune in to our PHNX bet show and see what Damon has to offer. Uh, he is back. I'm not sure if he's recovered yet from Las Vegas, but uh, he will be functioning again at some point. We're much like the modem and and the, and the router. We're going to reboot Damon a couple of times, you know, count to 20 <laughs> seconds and plug him back in uh, and he'll be back on bets, you know, churning out the, those money picks soon enough. But in the meantime, sign up for BetMGM and use that bonus code of PHNX. Place your first bet uh sportsbook wager through their sportsbook mobile application for at least five dollars you will receive 150 dollars instantly in additional winnings regardless of your wager's outcome check out the show notes for full details and now listen to damon talk about the disclaimer Promo code 100 Gambler available in the U.S. Call 8778 Hope NY or text Hope NY 467-369 New York. Call 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 21 plus to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800 Next Up Arizona. 1-800 Bets Off Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 Puerto Rico. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Visit BetMGM.com for terms. This promotional offer is not available in New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Uh, we're still not. We're still not singing. Really bad. But, uh, you know, I know uh, you and I can maybe dump Damon this time because I'm sure he's had uh, his fill of of gambling with his week long Vegas excursion. But you and I can go get our fill at Gila River Resorts and Casinos uh, because no one does it better. They offer an, an authentic and immersive experience uh, with an unprecedented level of entertainment that you won't find anywhere else in the desert. Uh, they have a state-of-the-art gaming floor with over 800 slot machines, 15 blackjack tables, live table games, and of course, Arizona's largest casino sportsbook. So head to Gila River Resorts and Casinos now and let them show you what the next level is all about. You do you at Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Visit playathila.com for more details. Thanks to those of you that are a diehard for joining us today. Of course, thanks to those of you that aren't a diehard for joining us. But if you aren't a diehard, make sure to check out uh, our wonderful membership options over at gophnx.com. Uh, Jesse does not put out paywall journalism often, but when he does, you want to make sure you don't miss it. You know it's going to be good, so don't miss out on anything. When I do, I get people on Twitter yelling at me for it. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. You and Gerald and everybody else. We have to make our money some way, people. Most of what Jesse writes is free, so if you're interested in reading Jesse's articles, just check out gophnx.com. No membership required. Usually it's, what, one article a month that Jesse puts out, uh, maybe two, two, maybe more. 
I don't know. If you keep complaining about it, we'll lock them all up. That's the way that that works. No, I'm joking. But uh, what we do implore you to do is go out and get a diehard membership. You'll get yourself a free T-shirt from the phnxlocker.com, some discounts from our partners. You'll get some discounts to our events, which all of that kind of pays for the membership in itself. You also get access to our Discord lounge, which is the best place to be an Arizona sports fan. Uh, You don't miss out on our game show squeeze play, a little little city council action, of course, discussions with Jesse, and so much more. Uh, So there's plenty of reasons for you to be a diehard member today but if not anything else it's the wonderful community that uh, we have built here with all of you wonderful people because i'll tell you today we had a couple of diehards uh chris and cwp stopped by our office uh and even though we had to leave abruptly due to the internet it was wonderful to see you guys out there it was great they brought us uh, some wonderful valentine snacks for all of the beats and i tell you again we have the best fans we have the best diehards in the world and because of you guys it's it's an incredible community for us to be a part of so we thank you so much for helping us build this thing uh and of course speaking of that jesse this weekend they got their uh the party over there at chase field uh for all of their advantage members i saw that on the yes, schedule saturday um i do love the fact that some of our community members who are season ticket holders like the very uh the aforementioned chris melton queen uh the the den mom of phnx have been trying to help out and get people into this party even if you're not uh even if you're not a season ticket holder so that's been very cool i know that they've been uh uh, people are excited, man. It's time. Baseball is back, yeah. and I just can't wait to be out there. Uh, what What is your favorite thing to do as a reporter when you're out at Salt River Fields during this time of the year? Because I will, I'll be honest. I mean, you you kind of have to be a little self motivated. It's not like they're all in one area. You know, they're kind of spread out. They're kind of in different groups. You got to go watch yeah. different. You know, like different. I I I still love the. I still love seeing major leaguers do like minor league drill not minor league little league drills it's like, like it's the drills like that we've done ball. yes yeah <laughs> since the day we started playing baseball rolling the ball to each other on the ground slowly like all of that stuff that you did as a kid playing baseball these guys still do to this day and it starts tomorrow when they're out there doing some of those drills it's that's always fascinating for me to watch i would just sit there a few times and be like these are the best baseball players in the world and they're just rolling the ball slowly on the ground to each other. It, it starts with the fundamentals. Can I, am I allowed to talk about uh, the Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler thing again? Am I allowed to circle back to that? No. Why? No. Well, okay. yes. well hey, I'm... you're still stuck on. Yeah, no, please do. We were moving on to spring <laughs> trading hype, but you want to talk more about us not getting Jorge Soler. I just, I, I have to say, sad. I have to say one more thing about this. Uh, oh, one one distinction between Jock Peterson and Orsilaire that I think is is worth pointing out that I didn't quite get to say in the in our last segment is that Jock Peterson is a platoon guy. Uh, the Giants were very heavily protecting him against lefties, and so you know Jock Peterson putting up similar or even better numbers than Jorge Soler over a two year span. I think it's important to recognize that Jorge Soler is playing against everyone. Whereas Jock Peterson is a little bit limited in that sense. I I think, I I mean, I still think Teo made some very valid points and I'm not so sure if I necessarily would have, um, you know, gone a different direction and signed Solaire instead myself. But I do think that it will be a little weird if the Diamondbacks go out and they get a Tommy Pham or an Adam Duvall or Randall Grishik and the combined value of Peterson and, and whichever one of those guys they get costs more than Jorge Soler does this year. Like if you had the choice. And the if Jock- Soler puts up more war than those guys combined, then that's especially problematic. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like if you had Jock Peterson and Randall Grishik, you know, for, I think Jock Peterson, he's at 12 and a half million. If you include uh, the, uh, the buyout for 2025, which is likely money he's, he's gonna, he's gonna make and, you know, wind up walking. Um, if you combine that 12 and a half million with another few million for, uh, you know, Tommy Pham or Adam Duvall or whomever, you're uh, you very well might exceed what Jorge Soler, um, you know, is is going to be making on an annual basis. And I have to at least ask the question: like, wouldn't you rather have Jorge Soler than have the platoon where you have to roster two guys for that spot? Um, so yeah, I, I'm not saying it's like obvious or anything. There there are some valid concerns, like you want another three year contract, all that. But that that contract was lower uh, than I expected it to be. And it it at least made me wonder. Like, I want I wonder what the Diamondbacks' thinking was in in uh, in in going elsewhere and uh, you know signing Jock Peterson instead. 
I, I think it the it, it's going to come down. Hype now. It's it's going to come down to the results, right? <laughs> I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. Is is that uh, yeah? It, it, you know, when when they talked about looking at the middle of their lineup, obviously, you know, we know Mike Hazen isn't going to tell us. Well, we went and tried to get Solaire and we couldn't, right? But when he described yeah. them going after Jock Peterson, he talked about looking at the middle of their lineup. He talked about looking at Guriel, looking at you know, Gino and seeing, you know, how maybe they needed to go in a different direction and, and go after someone like Jock instead of pursuing Jorge Soler. I don't know. I mean, it's the, the, there is something to be said about the combinations. Uh, if you do bring in another guy to platoon with Jock Peterson and just the weapons and, and, you know, obviously how you can kind of plan for the different, different arms you'll be seeing, but you know, if, if you can have just one guy in the lineup that you rely on most of the time, like Solaire, instead of having to worry about, you know, starting, you know, uh, lineup concerns like that and going lefties versus righties and, and such, it's it, it, it could have made your life maybe a little easier. I don't know. I was a little yeah. disappointed myself to see what Solaire went for. I, I, I And I knew that was going to be the case. And I know I'm going to be uh, probably uh, inconsolable when I see what J.D. Martinez signs for. Uh, I'm just going to not be on the show that day. I hope it happens when I'm out at sea, Jesse. That would probably be the absolute base, best case scenario if it happens sometime between July 23rd and the 26th. Um, but we know you that's mean, not. You mean February? You mean February? What did I say? 23rd, July? 23rd. Oh, yeah. I'm so already in July. Although at this rate, Derek, who the heck knows? Maybe JD Martinez, maybe none of the Boris clients will have signed by the end of July. Who's to say at this point? Maybe they form their own league. season. Or their own team. I don't know. That, that's yeah, there you possibility. go. They just go to Portland and, and Boris is the owner. I don't know. But anyway, uh, Adam Thomas says the D-backs can solve this simply by signing Jamie Martin. Yes, they can. Yes, that's bring me him <laughs> and then I'm fine. But uh, shout out to all of you guys, of course, for joining us. We appreciate it. Shout out to Tea Time. We hope you guys enjoy Tea Time Tuesday. Uh, of course, tomorrow we are back with actual reporting news. We will be out at salt river field so we will be doing our show at 2 p.m hopefully with a strong internet connection from phnx hq yes. uh in the <laughs> meantime you can make sure to follow us on twitter i'm at cap underscore caveman with a k jesse is at jesse and friedman our show is at phnx underscore dbacks but all roads do lead to at phnx underscore sports on twitter instagram and facebook we appreciate you guys so much uh thank you again for stopping by thank you to all of our guests teo excellent tea time ryan thompson uh sorry sean no meltdown because for obvious reasons <laughs> i think he i think he made a strong case to not go with meltdown for That's sure a pretty but, strong case uh, of yeah. course uh we will see you guys back here at 2 p.m tomorrow make sure to join us then uh we thank you again for your time appreciate you for stopping by and remember kids baseball is fun but it's so much more fun when you talk about it with your friends <laughs>